think of that. Right? <laughs> All right. The doctor's in the yeah. house. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. Um, this week, <laughs> after many forms of rescheduling and uh, trying to get our schedule straight, three of the four original bozos right. from Dover are here today. There we go. Yeah. Where is Corey? Uh, who knows? He just, all right. He Corey, just, I love you, man. Have fun. Um, be well. <laughs> okay. Well, introduce yourself while we're, uh, where we're oh, going. So, Brett Heiner. Brett Heiner. And uh, let's see, current uh, owner, facilitator at Lighthouse uh, Support Center. Uh, more accurately, Mystic Motion uh, Counseling Transformational Guide Services. So, uh, come in and, and together we figure out. Uh, possibilities of who you are and where you might be. I like the guide services part. That's nice. Yeah. Psychopump. That's another word, right? Like that's another word for uh, guide. Psychopump. And I, I'm not brave enough to put that on my card yet. I'll, I'll talk about it publicly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just uh, um, you know the transferences, and when two people get together and start to um, set the intention about what they want to create, a lot of things happen. So it's about guiding, you know. Um, um, through my own personal recovery journey, so beautiful, yeah, beautiful, something like that. Got a little nostalgic there for a second. Yeah, I, I can it was feel. Nice. It. I yeah. felt it all the way over here across yeah. the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. I'm, yeah. I'm just a bit. Just, I'm just like a counselor, except I'm not calling myself a counselor. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, whatever the hell that means, yeah. I don't know. You yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you counsel people. Yes. Yep, yep. <laughs> I'm just a little envious because that just sounded so exotic and interesting. I it mean, it just, is, I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm Robert Simpson and I'm just a boring old doctor. There you go. I got nothing. But I do. Uh, <laughs> There's a change in times, right? Like, here's a guy that has no idea really exactly, specifically what he does. And the other guy's, well, I'm only a doctor. <laughs> I mean, times have changed. They have. It's about time. I've, I've, I'm tired of being on the most, low end of the totem pole. <laughs> most, most, most of the corporate docs have become sort of glorified 7 seven eleven employees yeah um, oh shit I just uh, I just treat folks with the disease of addiction uh, in a variety of places and I love it oh so glad you're here Robert alright and yes it's me Paul back again for another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. We have a few topics we want to talk about today. Um, I want to give you a quick reminder. Next week, um, Chris McIntosh from Turning Point will be here, and the week after, Mandy Murray will be here to talk about her new book. All right. A couple, we have a few topics to talk about today. Um, but I like the... Uh, I like the idea of starting out with something a little bit more cerebral um, that's got a lot of room to be able to move and, and discuss. Well, that's uh, me done. What? That's me done. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, if we'll, I can't, we'll see how things if go. If I can't write a prescription, I, yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, and I brought up this this idea and uh, of, of uh, you know what cognitive dissonance is, and we'll talk about that. And, um, 
uh, in just a sec here um, to explain what cognitive dissonance is. And we, we all may have different ideas and interpretations of that, which should kind of be good to get that from a couple different angles. But the idea of the correlation between cognitive dissonance and shame, and then, of course, we, I also include shame and addiction. Because these are all in, in some way correlated and connected together, in, uh, and one somehow fosters or fuels the other and leads to this cycle of, of shame and addiction. Um, where it starts, though, is the idea that we're not com completely living some level of truth or honesty or integrity within ourselves, and that's where the idea of dissidence comes from. So I'm going to give my explanation of that, and then let's kind of mm -hmm. go around and, and see where, where you guys are on that mm -hmm. as well. So cognitive dissidence can come from many different aspects um, of uh, a cognitive and, and emotional expression within ourselves. Um, I base it on the idea that we are not living um, connected to what I believe is authentic or a core value um, or even a moral or ethical uh, belief that we have. Um, and, and, I, and when I say that, some people probably even question in their own minds, I, I don't know what the fuck I believe in, to, you know, what's true for me anyway. Like I do, I, what is my authentic self or my authentic core? Really, what is that? Um, and maybe they have a sense of that because they just foreclosed on whatever information they got when they were growing up and thought this was the right thing to do. The reason why my experience of that is not true for me is that I knew <laughs> the first time I stole something, I think I was five or six years old, that I knew what I was doing was wrong. And I don't just mean from a Judeo-Christian perspective. Um, I mean that I knew within myself that that wasn't one of my values. Um, it happened a few other times before. I got to a place where I actually felt shame, that something was wrong with me because of the choices I was making, because I was going against my values. So when I speak of cognitive dissonance being something that I'm going against inside me internally, I, I knew at a young age, I didn't know it was cognitive dissonance, or I didn't know I was going against myself in that time, but it, it felt like I wasn't being honest and integrous with myself. So that's mm -hmm. what I think of a, a cognitive mm -hmm. dissonance. When it turns in or becomes shame, it's because I know on some level that I'm not being authentic and I'm not living through my values. And if I look back and I'm honest, most of those times were associated with looking for approval or acceptance of other people. Even back that little mm -hmm. five-year-old mm -hmm. boy or six-year-old boy, mm -hmm. yeah, thought that. And it happened, mm -hmm. it ha the time that it really affected me, I think I was eight or nine, and I stole money from my neighbor. Mm -hmm. um, when I was younger, I used to take candy from the Five and Dime store in, in Old Greenwich, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I remember I felt so bad one day that um, I took all my money out of my piggy bank and went to the, the store and I handed all the money to the, the guy that was always there behind the register. And he goes, what's this? And they go, that's for all the candy I've stolen in the last year or whatever. And he goes, he's 
going through it and I thought he was counting it and he goes, yeah, that'll about cover it. Mm. <laughs> like, and so I had this idea that he'd been watching me and, and keeping, you know, like count of everything I had taken, which, you know, was probably 50 cents worth of candy, but I gave him two or three dollars in change. Right. That's Just, hilarious. And it was like, because I knew I was going against myself even at that age, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. that wasn't, I should, I shouldn't do that. So mm. anyway. Let's open it up. What, what are your thoughts? I, <laughs> that's my intro on cognitive dissonance yeah. and, the, and the creation of shame. Well, go, on, go on, Brent. I'll, this I'll is jump you, in there. And I, the, the oh shit earlier was just a little bit of coffee got spilled. So <laughs> that's a, that random wasn't uh, directed at anyone. So uh, Well, I was listening because I want to understand you know, you know this idea of cognitant, cognizance dissonance. And um, I've heard it, and I've, I, I have a, a basic idea of it, but it's the separation, right? And done through the mind. And, and um, I, I've heard that story, you know, that you've talked about. And, and so it, it, it was nice to just listen to it again. Mm-hmm. I love the part of the, uh, uh, the authority, right, in your life, the, the owner of the store. And uh, and he was smart, right? That was really wise. Like, mm, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> He's counting out the. Oh money. God, he knew the whole time, right? You know, <laughs> which is which is um, what you're talking about. You know, it was this this idea of feeling guilt or shame, and and uh, something's wrong. So, yeah, I think it's a good. Um, it, it is part of this uh, uh, recovery process, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, to go in and find out not really what you did, but but why you did it. Yeah. You know the so the the process of it, but then how did that get to that? And I think for the first time when you said that, I heard it differently, which was that um, at this age, <clears throat> when you stole from your neighbor, you had this sense that it was wrong. Right. Right. Well, and, and I lied about it when I got <laughs> confronted too. So right. I got asked, "Did you take that money?" And I said, "No." Right. You know. Yeah. And but it's interesting that you know, and I've seen uh, documentaries on the necessity of lying. Uh-huh. You know, as children develop that 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 ability, and it is you know, it's a it's a one of our greatest manipulators we have. You know, so um, and and the well, kids and everybody really, lies. Yeah, and and the ones that lie really well seem to do better in this you know uh, perceived successful life story. You know, the high rise uh, ending. You know, um, but it was interesting when you said I've done something wrong. It, it, you know, I just looked at it just a little bit more, and it was, then why did you do it? You know, so there was this this not okayness, right? Like, right, uh, you know, oh, everything's here, and we're sharing, and you know, you know, getting things, but some program, you know, had come in your upbringing or even in your uh, DNA mm-hmm. that that said, you know, that this is wrong, right, and that there was a part of you that felt like you had to do it to be okay, right, right, and and so. Um, you know, in the recovery process, a lot of times, you, you know, this searching fearless moral inventory, you know, uh, really was is was one way that I was able to to get to the rational piece of um, the behaviors. And then it's been another 20 plus years of understanding um, where did the behaviors come from? Yeah. Right. And and so what was the foundation of that? Yeah. What, so the what were the stories or the narrative that I had that created the right. behavior or the or, or generated the feelings that propelled the behavior in the first place? Right. Yeah. And I think and I think that's the key that we're looking for. And and even that the idea of this, you know, stealing is wrong. You know, that's that's ingrained to us. I'm I'm reading a, uh, uh, it's a book that came out in the 1990s called uh, uh, Iron John, 
and and it's it is fascinating it talks about the masculine psychology and and it's really ego driven but it's still got great information but it's it's about the stealing the key you know the key to life mm-hmm. and that it's underneath the mother's pillow and we're told not to steal you know but really that's the only way we're gonna uh, find that authentic self you yeah know, to to stop with that distance and and so in that case stealing is the only way you right. know but but as young boys we're we're taught certain things <laughs> that that keep us in line somewhat right mm-hmm. because one of the other topics you, you know we thought about were stimulants you know and mm-hmm. and how prescribed that is you know and it's all about keeping you know um boys specifically but the children right mm-hmm. in line but it doesn't it doesn't align them with that inner truth i sure. think so well and and when we're not that's what i guess what i'm saying when we're not mm-hmm. aligned with whatever that is um that whatever's our whatever our truth is when we're not mm-hmm. aligned with it and we internalize that that we're not living mm-hmm. by that then that's that becomes the a fertile ground for shame that you know mm-hmm. not that i made a mistake but that something's wrong with me why am i not living this way something mm-hmm. i mean i'm not just making bad choices uh, i may be a bad person mm-hmm. the difference between guilt and shame being mm-hmm. you know guilt is i made a mistake but you know shame is i am a mistake something is actually wrong with me right and i did hear that that shift that you had had right yeah. which is where the head goes down right yes. it's not just Oops, I might get in trouble. It's I am trouble. Yeah. And you what know? was fueling those kind of decisions was mm-hmm. this this need to be accepted or looking for approval from certain, you know, people or communities, mm-hmm. um, you know, have some kind of connection and be accepted by, by the mm-hmm. people. And I can look back and see that now and go, you know, that, and have, have mm-hmm. you know, understood this for a long time. But realize I was making that choices because I felt disconnected in the first place, mm-hmm. um, and I, I can. That's a whole other story mm-hmm. because you know I, I know what how that initially happened for me mm-hmm. in my life, and where the shame was even started and what you know started at some point, not just based upon that's the internal part right where shame mm-hmm. comes from, but there's also voices outside that are saying similar stories that right. reinforcing that. So where did I learn that shame was okay in the first place? That it, why, why did I acclimate or simulate that that I was the problem? Mm-hmm. And that's because from as far back as I can go, um, I had a <laughs> I had a family system that reinforced that something was wrong with me. That's where that's that's where it started. It didn't start with just right. all internalize it. I had a reinforcer from the outside, right? And, and, I and just, that wasn't and their I grabbed intention. onto it, right? That wasn't their intention, but but the uh, your family system had a lot of feminine in it, right? Well, except where the shame got created was from the masculine side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I mean, it's, but when you have the, a family system that's primarily the feminine, mm-hmm. right, and you're this, you know, young, uh, rambunctious boy, right, that, that's different than what, how the typical young girl would act, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, whoa, that, you know, if you got five women and one boy, you're, that, that one boy is going to say, yeah, that's got to change. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, putting a wild horse in with, you know, uh, tame ones, you're going to get a lot of wild horses. So, but um, I was interested. You said that's when you realized that you disconnected from you or from society. I disconnected from myself, but right. also... I, I felt that you know something was wrong, 
yeah. that mm-hmm. I, you know, and I was taking all these mm-hmm. belief systems. I foreclosed mm-hmm. on them. I, I was my, mm-hmm. this, I'm not the victim of those influences per se. Right. I mean, I was very young, but I'm the one that chose to foreclose on them, not understanding at the right. time what I was doing. I didn't understand until right. I had a, you know, <laughs> enough, you know, under, uh, enough awareness about how thinking and programming works from a, a well, a domestication point of view, and we yeah. we talk about taking on other people's narratives, um, and realizing that I took on this story that was not mine. Right. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so I get it. I mean, I get mm-hmm. I get how it happened and what that process was like today. But back in the middle of it, when I was young, I, I didn't understand it. I just mm-hmm. you know, but I but I did understand that I was going against something internal. It's just like I knew when I was an adolescent that I wanted to be a therapist. I, I mm-hmm. knew it. I knew that's what I wanted to do with my mm-hmm. life. But when I, I got to college, and that's what I started to study, and I got sidetracked because I had another mentor that, that sort of pushed me in another direction. I did the same damn fucking thing I had done when I was a little kid. <laughs> I basically took on someone else's agreement about who I was supposed to be mm-hmm. and foreclosed upon it. And so I went another direction, and, and they said, yeah, don't worry about doing that. You don't need to finish that and that kind of thing. And I was looking for acceptance and approval so much from this older male mentor in my mm-hmm. life. Um, and acceptance from them that I switched everything I was doing huh, yeah. because I was so hungry and starving for that. Right. Yeah. And, and then finally, you know, a decade or two later, went back and finished all that <laughs> in my late 30s, my, my early 40s. Right, so yeah. I began that right. process. Which and the shame flowed through that all those years, mm-hmm. all those years, off and on. And of course, self-medicating the shame, right? Mm-hmm. Which is fun to do. Yeah, I'm being facetious, of course, but it seems fun in the time, anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, it works. It works. It fuck yeah, it works. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it, this it is actually <laughs> though. I mean, it it you have that vibration of shame and guilt and and disconnectedness, right? Mm-hmm. And that would flow through one's life. I think that's probably, you know, I don't know what the statistics are now. And, every, you know, we say everyone's got their own addictions at some level. But, you know, back in the day, there was there was a time that I regurgitated, not even knowing it was true. But oh, about 20% of people, you know, are addicted, right? Mm-hmm. The, the old traditional, you know, substance or intoxicants. But that... Uh, um, you know, I, I don't think this vibration, you know, of the shame and guilt, I think that most people have it. And then uh, for the addict, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say it's more. But what, what happens is, is with personalities that are willing to take the risk, then they amplify that shame in the addiction, right? Mm-hmm. To a place where then you, you, there's no way to allow it to just run through your life for your entire life. It gets so big that it has to be addressed and and that's the beauty of addiction you know that's that that <laughs> seeking a peak spiritual experience but you, it, you heard it here right no, but i, yeah, I does. totally agree with you i'm we're the Deepak lucky ones Chopra, that we get to amplify it yeah you know, there are plenty of people that i'm mm-hmm. sorry to bring in a little bit of the eastern yeah. mysticism here but mm-hmm. These guys, uh, there mm-hmm. are a number of them that believe that you know mm-hmm. addiction is is really p- people with addiction are seekers mm-hmm. that are, are struggling, um, especially mm-hmm. with drug addiction. They're seeking to change their lives in a certain mm-hmm. way. I'm just proposing, you know, under this basis, this theory that we're trying to change the self-inflicted wounds of shame, whether we took the agreement on from somebody else. But every time, I mean, every time they use the drugs, every time I use some way to self-medicate, mm-hmm. it just 
I knew that wasn't the best way to go about it either. Mm-hmm. The relief was there and it made things better, mm-hmm. but it didn't it didn't take the shame really away mm-hmm. because that was already pre-programmed and that was in the package, you know. Yeah. That was there. Mm-hmm. That was I mean, I had chosen to take those agreements on and live by them. All the drugs did was scramble it enough, you know, and mm-hmm. loosen it up so it wasn't solidified. Right. And I, I well, but it pulled it your covers. Lived. I mean, it really. I mean, what, what you see is the problem. Like, the addiction isn't the problem, you know. It's No, it's, it's the solution. It's yeah, yeah, The drugs really. are the solution. Right? It, it is. It's or the, the solution. Or the sex or the money or mm-hmm. hell, right. you know, mm-hmm. work, yeah. exercise. Yeah. Well, and Carl Jung says, it's a, you know, the, the neurosis really is that thing that's going to propel us into knowing, you know, the big S, you know, the true self. And so... Yeah. It, instead of oh you the know big ass. yeah the authentic yeah. self yeah. Right. right yeah yeah so I mean uh, I'm wondering how much cognitive dissonance there is in Washington D.C. at the moment <laughs> <laughs> collectively just colossal mm-hmm. um, which has nothing to do with the topic um, really. Oh, I had, no, I almost brought Trump into this just in the middle of that. Just oh, I wasn't going to say that. Talk about yeah, narcissism, but, uh, but because yeah, because this is it. I mean, right? So, as as kind of a simple country doctor, you guys are talking about sophisticated therapeutic psychological terminology <laughs> that that I'm not geared for. Um, but basically, you know, this cognitive dissonance boils down to the the delta value between our core belief system and our actions Mm -hmm. and um you know and so if we are engaging in behaviors that 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 violate our core belief core belief system then there's 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 really two choices i mean um and and what i see as addiction progresses is that um, the delta value gets smaller and smaller and that is that we either drop our core belief values lower and lower or we begin to raise the bar on what is acceptable that we used to believe to be unacceptable Mm -hmm. in this way we sort of justify what we're doing and how we're doing it so you're saying what was i mean i love i love that you brought in delta value that's a great way to look at this that's a great perspective to see this um are but do you believe then i guess the, the the idea that um, the lowering of our core value to fit the behaviors and the choices and the thinking. Yeah. So thinking and behavior um, happens in such a way that we don't realize that we're that we're going against our core values, or we feel like that that's just precipitated so that we find some type of new mm. new new state of homeostasis or I something. S- yeah, I mean I see a variety of different mechanisms. I I see people lowering the core values and gradually adjusting to this sort of new value set. And then there's a number of ways of reconciling that. I mean, there is um, you know the blaming of 
other people. Mm-hmm. This is something because X, Y, or Z happened to me. Trauma, for example. Um, it may be because of other circumstances. Uh, I have a condition that causes me to have you know pain or anxiety or depression or whatever it might be um or the internalization of it and that's then i think where the shame and guilt arise and and there comes a point i think with most of us who find a point that we 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 have to recover for one reason or another that um that we become willing to look at the internal piece and find ways to um reframe the external pieces and get rid of the blame Mm. and say you know i'm actually re-perpetrating the crime upon myself yeah like re-traumatizing the trauma, mm-hmm. or re-traumatizing right. ourselves from past right. trauma, right? right. Yeah. And the, you know, kind of gradually helping people work towards that. That's that's the magic you guys engage in. But I mean, I I start that stuff in the office with people, yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. assessing assessing what's important. What are mm-hmm. the things? You know, what are your motivators? Mm-hmm. And, and what are your obstacles? And very quickly it becomes clear, you know, that mm-hmm. that values have shifted over time. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, lo- I, <laughs> I love that you said, yeah, and we don't, you know, what, what's happened in Washington, D.C. <laughs> because I just thought about this. Because mm-hmm. talk about core values being lowered. <laughs> once, once was acceptable, you know, was one what, what, something that was a, thought right. unacceptable a few years right. ago right. has now become the norm. Like the, I mean, how many procedure. times I, I've just got to laugh at this for a moment? I know we, we, for the most part, except when I have my brother-in-law on, we don't. I don't usually talk politics on here, so I'm going to stay away from it. But this, I don't know how many times I've heard. This is unprecedented. <laughs> right, right. How many, pe- how many pedophiles can be supported in one administration? Sorry, did I take that too far? Oh, never. No, okay. no, no. In fact, we're, 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 this, this show is rated explicit for specific reasons right. because we will, we will touch upon things that are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. One of the most important aspects of uh any type of recovery and i don't care again what what one person right, what someone's yeah. recovering from right right um is that this the idea of being okay being uncomfortable mm. so we, we should be able to talk about anything and we okay. should be able to reflect upon it in the sense of cultural and social issues as well mm. so that was my my purpose in bringing that in because mm-hmm. you know we've been living in these un. <laughs> Precedented times, right? It's unrecognizable. Yeah. Except that it's now the norm, you know. So yeah. What will happen? We'll, 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 and so talk about cognitive dissonance, which, you know, I have been, um, or we have been. Uh, this idea of shame being a result of that, um, there's this sense of, you know, 
what happens when I allow other people, I don't, I don't, I enable them or I don't support them in what's best for them, right? So in my own life, you know, do I enable my kids? Do I enable other people? And um, confirmation bias can come into all, all of this as well and, and lead into creating um, an internalized story where, you know, uh, we justify or if I say we, I justify and rationalize the behavior of supporting someone in something I know that's not healthy for right. me. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my, my experience on the, on the receiving end of therapeutics um, and, I, and I was incredibly fortunate in terms of a couple of people who who um, took care of me in that way was they they seemed to have um, an exquisite sensitivity to how hard they could push yeah. a given idea right. and when they needed to back out right. and let me be. Because if you push it too hard, you exacerbate the shame. And guess what? There's a no-show next week, right? Exactly, yeah. And so this seems to be the thing that that people who really you know, do skillful therapy are, are, are masters of. Well, and that, that speaks to, you know... I mean, any 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 profession really mm. um, is starting where where the patient or the client's at, yeah. not where you hope them to be <laughs> right. necessarily. You know, I really wish you would understand these concepts right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you right. know that you know a therapist or a doctor or anyone, a counselor who works from the position of where they want the client to be. I mean, that hope will hopefully, hope, hopeful, hopefully, you know help guide the, the, the person there. Yeah, but yeah. It, again, one has to be, the, the facilitator must be open and understanding and insightful of where the client is initially yeah. and starting from a place that's realistic. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, the guidance starts initially to, um, where, you know, where are you and where would you like to be, mm-hmm. right? And, and then um, to be skillful at facilitating that, uh, not believe that that you know you know they say well I just you know want to be able to use normally mm-hmm. okay right and then <laughs> yeah, I mean, say, are you talking about like a drink like a gentleman kind yeah, of thing yeah. okay. you know or you know I just I want, nothing needs to change except I want it to be fun right instead of painful and <laughs> right. suffering but um, you, you know the initial guide is to is um, is that really what they want? You know, guide them to is it really what you want, and right. not. And and I've made the mistake many a times. People, you know, okay, fine, let's get you there, but I was guiding them to whatever agenda I had in mind, right? Which uh, you get a lot of resistance with that, you know. So you got to find out, you know, where you want to be, and and then or where they want to be, to even guide them there, right? And make sure that you know the way uh, as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, my my experience, um, in the little bit of counselling that I that I do with patients. I mean, I'm not mistaken about my qualifications to to do therapy, but um, but I do I do spend time talking with people who I treat, um, and. 
and I always watch yeah, and you're, and my... And you're a medical doctor, right? <laughs> I am a medical doctor. <laughs> and you um, spend time talking to your patients. It's a, it's a unicorn doctor. <laughs> I, uh, but, they, I mean, all of my patients are addicted, and I, I don't do the 30-patient-a-day mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, it's I, not, I, I mean, I spend half an hour and with, with, with follow-ups and... I mean, sometimes an hour, sometimes more with yeah. new people. Mm-hmm. It just takes what it takes. Well, um, yeah, my point is that you're not again. You're you're not the norm. That mm-hmm. you know when it comes to I'm not the norm when it comes to anything. anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> for better or worse, mm-hmm. um, but it you know, I I can feel in myself when when my kind of blood pressure starts to rise mm. you know my or, or my language begins to change to the shoulds and you know what you ought to do and all of a sudden you know i i'm imposing my my judgments and my views mm. and my values on them yeah mm-hmm. and and that that's going to exacerbate their shame mm-hmm well, and they'll. Int- I mean, the, in my experience, often the the client or the patient all of a sudden feels like they're being judged. Yeah, right. And, right? and judgment will again. What that's a great fuel for shame. I mean, right. I mean, a powerful fuel. Right. Shame. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Anything else? This is we 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 did yeah. we got it. I thought did really well with that, guys. Uh, <laughs> we got it. My shame is very low right yeah, now. Right. <laughs> so, to, by the way, the uh, and I don't I don't remember where the story ended. You know, what you had heard it before, mm-hmm. but when i when i decided to change my life yeah you know i i went back and and uh made amends to my neighbor huh. who i had stolen that i'd stolen ten dollars from and um that was you know 30 years after whatever the the fact right? right and called her up and you know said yeah that was me that took that money and mm-hmm. and uh and sent it back to her i go can i send it back i'm gonna send it back to you she go, oh no you don't need to do that you don't need to send it back to me. I said, no, I, I, do, I do need to send it back to you, not for you, but for me, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which I thought was funny. But the first question she asked me when I called her and told her who I was and what I was doing, she asked me, are you in rehab? <laughs> <laughs> she cued her right in. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. I know. All right. We'll, we'll move on. All right. Well, one, one more. Just, okay. just yeah. last, um, because this, the, there's this idea that we're, we're removed from um, that core value or who, you know, our true self, you know, whatever that is. And, um, I mean, and, and you talked about the, the numbers, you know, they're skyrocketing here in the West, right? Right. And that uh, the decline in the uh, uh, deaths of despair. Oh, deaths of despair, which we talked about right. last time um, on this roundtable. Yeah, so, so this separation from self, um, you know, um, to me it's really important to understand that if we really write the inner treasury, right? There's our our gold, our core. They, you mm-hmm. know, there's uh, some circles. You know, they they talk about it as the inner treasury, and uh, uh, specifically with this uh, uh, union group that I'm with, uh, we had a workshop on that. And it's about finding your inner treasury, and um, boy, what a f- you know near impossible. You know, what the hell is that, right? Like, um, and it's it, but we touch on it, but. 
What I found is, 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 right, so we're talking about the things that we do that we're shameful about. The, the other side of that is, is if you really want to, I believe, if mm-hmm. you really want to know, if I want to know my, my inner value, right, my inner treasury, mm-hmm. then I have to understand the depths of my treachery. And, and yes. I, right? Very so, good. Very yeah, good. at yeah. five, you know, sure, it was treacherous, right? Like, yeah. um, <clears throat> but there's even, you know, why did you do it? It, it wasn't about the money. There was something inside of you was empty, right? Or whatever that is. Well, I was looking for approval, right? So there was mm-hmm. a hole there. I, mm-hmm. I expected that right. some external force, right. you know, and, and, com- mm-hmm. and community, by the way, which wasn't a healthy community. I, I mm-hmm. mean, I was, uh, I was, I, I was, I wanted to be part of the bad boys, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah. in yeah. the neighborhood. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and like I said, that's okay. You know, as long as you know consciously why you're doing it. <laughs> of course, you want to be that because that's that's half of who you are. You yeah. know, but we're we're told to be nice, right. right? And yet we want to be the bad boys, and that's that's been my saying. You know, in fact, a, a line trying to, you know, meet women when I got sober. Well, I'm a bad boy that got good. You know, <laughs> you know how much horseshit is that? But. Uh, um, yeah, we all want to be the bad boy because that's who we are, you know. And there's the idea: if I know myself, if I'm authentic, that I'm going to be this glowing, radiant, you know, light of God. Yeah, sure, but you got to you're going to have the shadow too, yeah, and 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 it's going to be oh, as yes. dark as the light. Yeah. And and there's the mm-hmm. you know, oh, I want to be my true self. I don't want to be hateful or or judgmental. And no, mm-hmm. that's who you who we are. Mm-hmm. Oh. So you got to be both, yeah. but you, you know if you're aware of it, then you can stand more centered. So I just wanted to, the dissonance is is I think, and why people still stay so disconnected from themselves, is is they they've been domesticated that their true self looks a certain way. Right. Oh, that it it's always shiny and clean. And yeah, it's, not it's the, the Teflon. It's the castle on the hill. Right. The Teflon aspect. Yeah. No, I, I fully agree yeah. with you. In fact, the shame mm-hmm. comes from mm-hmm. believing it has to always look and be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Now, I fully agree with that. Mm-hmm. I just was I, I when when I. In my story, it's mm-hmm. this idea of seeking the approval of the acceptance outside of myself to be okay, feeling good about mm-hmm. who I am. Mm-hmm. But the, that's the funny part, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the rub is that, that I wanted to be accepted by people that, you know, that, that values were different than mine in the first place, mm-hmm. that thought stealing was okay. Mm-hmm. And there's the cognitive dissidence going against mm-hmm. myself, even at that age, because I, I knew that that was not true for me, that that's not mm-hmm. the way to live because of the guilt. Right. Well, and, but the guilt comes from the domestication. And, and what I found is if, if, if uh, I'm not true to myself, if I'm stealing, that it, is that even true, you know, or does somebody tell me that I shouldn't? So I'm going back to a domestication and not a true value, right? And and somewhere in there, both are true, right? That that um, uh, of course I'm a thief, mm-hmm. right? On the other hand, then I'm also um, um, uh, the giver, right? You know, where there's wealth, there will be thieves, and, exactly. You know, so yeah. there's a lot to it. It it just. It, you know, if anyone's listening to this, it, it, don't think you're going to find this shining light. You know, it'll be there for sure. But it, it, to be whole, there has to be the other aspect. Right. You know, the treasury comes from the treachery, and the treachery then comes from the treasury. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. 
Nice reference to shadow and light. Yeah. 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 I got you. The dance. Nice. Beautiful. Nice. The dance. Yeah. The dance. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Good. Yeah. I, I kind of manipulated that so we can talk about that it. That was a little now. bit of shadow, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. No, no. Yeah. That was. That was ah, come on, Odin. It's good shadow. Yes, the shadow. Good shadow. <laughs> moon shadow. Moon shadow. Moon yeah. shadow. All right. Um. <laughs> All right, this is, uh, here's the, um, the uh, what do I want to call it? The uh, community service part of the program. <laughs> what? I don't do We're service? We're going to talk about detoxing and pregnancy yeah. from, from heroin, oh, oh, basically. Okay. And, and, right. and hopefully give some, shine some light on those uh, people that, that do seek and need help with this. And hopefully pull the fear, well, not that we can pull the fear out of anybody, um, but you know, give some basic, real clear information about you know what's what's available, what what can be expected, mm-hmm. and why why we why it's important to hopefully find a, a way to uh, to do this in a healthy manner. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Robert before we started, you had mentioned something about. Um, the some of the uh, well, you were talking about a law that there was being proposed, um, uh, and I, is that this legislature originally when they was that this was that or was that last year? Last year, last year, mm. um, and a lot of people, uh, you know, young uh, pre- pregnant women um, fear that have you know, fear going uh, to the hospital or um, getting help because. Uh, being under the influence, and will they lose their child? Will the state take the child away? Right. Um, and so they avoid this. And um, there are some, and which is which is a legitimate concern. I mean, uh, obviously, in, in under the influence of substances, the the uh, let's talk about cognitive dissonance. You know, there could be some real sense of fear that may not be rational, but also may be very real. Yeah, under the time. So, yeah. um, I, I'm just gonna, you know, kind of loft over to you a little bit here to kind of get your thoughts and feelings about this because I, I know you've got a few. But yeah. what, what's the best way to to begin this process uh, for for you know someone who um, has a has a an addiction or a dependency? Um, we'll say a dependency on um, a substance, especially an opiate or, or heroin, um, that uh, may be pregnant and has a concern about what what to do. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a great question and important one, and and one that um, you know, that the state is is very much focused on helping this population. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an enormous amount of interest in the addiction community mm-hmm. in in helping women who are pregnant, and there are an increasing number of providers who uh, really want to um, reach out to this population. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're fortunate to have um, somebody who is an international expert in the city who... Um, her name is Marcella Smid, and um, she's a doctor who runs uh, a clinic that is specifically for substance abusing women. And so, point number one is that um, there is no legislation in place that um, 
a mum will have her child removed if she's taking controlled substance. Point number two is that most, not all, but but most women who are pregnant um, want help. They realize this is a time that I've, I, I, I want to change. Mm-hmm. It's one of those sort of moments. And help is available. I mean, they can safely walk into uh, addiction medicine facilities, treatment centers, obstetricians' offices. Um, although uh, I will say, you know, not 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 all to the same degree. No, of course. But yeah. um, right. but there are increasing number of obstetricians who who really, really are opening themselves to this this population. And so the idea of of detox, so this is all very much substance dependent, right? Right. So uh, mum presenting with methamphetamine addiction, uh, use disorder, the polite term, um, (laughs) you know, really doesn't need a detox process as much as a an opportunity to get into a safe place and have a chance to uh, rest and get nutrition yeah. and get some prenatal evaluation done um obviously at the moment opioids are the one of great concern and um, it is it is clear that pregnant mums can be switched over to um, Subutex, buprenorphine, mm-hmm. Suboxone safely, effectively, and um, and hopefully minimize mm-hmm. the you know any detox or physical symptomology yeah. that, would, that would hurt the mother and or the child. Yeah. Um, and there are still scattered docs around the country who say, you know, we need to taper you off before the baby's born. Um, that That's, that's not um, probably in, in anyone's best interests. Um, particularly because the likelihood ratio of mum relapsing is extraordinarily high. Yeah, yes. And so um, docs who do this care generally say support mum, take care of her needs, Uh, doses of those medications will tend to increase through pregnancy because what we call volume of distribution, which is really the amount of fluid in, in the bloodstream, right. um, will increase. increase yeah, during Kidney function will increase. increase, so it will be excreted faster. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, doses will need to go up rather than down during pregnancy. And that scares a lot of mums. Um, but the fact of the matter is that there is no 
relationship between dose of those medications mm -hmm. and the likelihood of neonatal abstinence syndrome, which right. is what every mum fears. Sure. I don't want my baby being born sick. Right, and, and or, or go through some type of detox. I mean, that's, that's that fear that at least the the women that i i talk to or i counsel on this issue yeah that that's that concern is you know and if they maybe and another part of it is often you know that this means that they also have to be honest with what's going on and not everyone wants to tell their family this so right it becomes a, a really difficult choice i think at times. yeah well one one of one of the important things that that uh, Dr. Smid and, and some other groups are starting to do um, to avoid some of this is that it used to be automatic that a baby born to a mum who was taking one of these maintenance medicines mm -hmm. would automatically go to the neonatal ICU. Right. And be given doses of those meds. And, and, and yeah, and, and, be treated for neonatal abstinence syndrome and one of the things that's happening now is that that these docs are saying no baby can stay with mum mm -hmm. uh maybe we keep mum in the hospital 72 hours uh and observe mm -hmm. but there's no need to create all of this palaver unnecessarily many of these children won't need to be treated and those that do can be safely treated in the room with their mum instead of being put in in the NICU or something right, like that, right? again um, which I think changes that dynamic a great deal and um, definitely brings a lot of the projection of fear um, down and, and of course yeah no no I mean generally speaking we'd say the majority or most mothers don't want to be separated from their children well, right after nor birth should in the first place. Nor should they be. It's a critical right? bonding time. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, so I think this cultural shift is beginning to happen. Uh, obviously, it's not universal. We live in a conservative part of the country. Um, it's true. Uh, we have the first, uh, this legislature, supposedly the first time that um, they're going to actually outlaw conversion therapy for therapists, which is still is not on the books here, by the way, just so you know. So <laughs> talk about a conservative state. Right. You can still practice conversion therapy, which is, you know, to uh, somehow pull the gay out of people. Yeah. Which doesn't right. work just fyi yeah, just in case you're following <laughs> in case on. you're wondering yeah. yeah conservative states yeah there goes my last hope all <laughs> 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 that all that yeah stuff it's over yeah yeah but right. i'm stopping that that's how i jump in yeah can you believe it i was really enjoying this really i'm i'm listening and i'm um, I love you regardless. <laughs> yeah. No, I was listening to this, and it's uh, it's interesting, you know, that because it's um, uh, I have somebody, someone close to me, and I have for uh, twenty something years, female who's um, addicted, pregnant. Um, you know, I've I've stepped in, you know, I'm doing the uh, 
looking at you know what's enabling and what's not and and like the third third child you know that she was pregnant addicted uh she reached out again and i um i was like no i, I don't think i need to pick this responsibility up right and, mm-hmm. oh it's not about her it's about the baby you know but they're the one and the same you know initially so uh, I went through a, a struggle, and I went to someone that I that I thought would give me the straight answer and the answer that I'd already had, and um, uh, that wasn't what I got. It was, you know, should I help her, uh, this individual and her? And it was, yeah, it's the right thing to do. And he's not a guy that would say right often, right? So it, it hit me, and, and, and I believe it was, you know, that it was... Um, uh, in alignment and so I did that but once again the pattern repeated itself so that child number three and then we had um, uh, whom was lost to the to the state because of um, the behaviors you know addiction included and then uh, once again another child right so it's just the same pattern that's gone on five different times right, right. so as I'm listening you know um the docs are so there's a long history i mean long history of this use pregnancy um going back to use right pregnancy i mean but But we got if it's an event right if it's an event (laughs) a woman's pregnant she's addicted for you know whatever uh that uh you know the harmful physical or emotional addiction is then um you know that that has a chance to treat but then when it becomes patternized right it's habitual and then but we continue to do the same thing that's mm-hmm. the question i have you know is yeah i mean the one thing that was left out of the out of the cycle of of that was treatment and um you know one one of the um one of the most concerning things in our states is the complete lack of availability of treatment for uh, mums with newborn babies mm-hmm. or mums who are pregnant. I mean, there's House mm-hmm. of Hope. There's, but but try getting uh, a pregnant mum into um, many other treatment, treatment centers, centers right. particularly yeah. right. if they're on Suboxone, which 90% of treatment centers in Utah... There are 47 of them along the Warsatch Front, and I think there are probably five of them that will allow that. Mm-hmm. And and that that's a that's appalling, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so so we have got to get to the point that we realise that you know again, treatment is a, a critical piece of this you know ending this this sort of endless cycle of repetitive behavior um and bad outcome Mm -hmm. and um it's not happening yet well i mean it seems slow it it, it feels that i mean i get this sense and um, it's kind of like pushing the boulder up a hill. It feels like a little yeah. bit, um, and we're, we're this sort of absolute purist view right. of treatment being 
one where it needs to look a certain way very right. specifically. I mean, we were yeah. we talked a little bit about this last time, and and we were, jo- we were kind of joking about it a little bit that it used right. to be, and there are still people that think this way that you know using an antidepressant. Uh, um, while in recovery is uh, a relapse. I mean, it's not being so not a relapse. It's not being sober necessarily. Right, right. And the irrational part of that talk about cognitive dissonance, right? Right. It, it's it's that black and white thinking, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, I I thought that way for a while. I mean, I have to go back a number of years. Um, or decade, a decade at least. But yeah, I did think that way too. I mean, I, I came out of the this idea that the nomenclature was, you know, a drug is a drug. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, that I'm, that's really fucked up thinking. I, <laughs> I, I really had a distorted view um, of reality. Most of us have. Yeah. I mean, you know, when when it was initially introduced, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and methadone has had. You know, such a some places do methadone very well, while others' main aim is to get people onto the highest dose possible, <laughs> at which point they're incapacitated by methadone. And so, I think everybody's view of medication assisted treatment was then tainted that that people on these medications would appear altered and would, you know, not be able to work the steps or not be able to have a spiritual awakening, whatever the hell that is. Um, or, or even cognitively be, you know, be able to do certain types of therapy. I mean, because they would be tired or falling asleep and, and it's nonsense. And well, and and then that comes down to others, other issues Mm -hmm. like proper dosage and maintenance and those kinds of things. Yeah. And this is the part where the medical community has to accept that, that there are a lot of docs out there who, were the pill mill docs who right. generated the problem who are now just scooping buprenorphine out right. the door uh, and it's a great business model but it's unethical and um, you know I, I, I don't know I don't know how they can get away with it. Yeah. Well, and so I, I'm going to just take a, a little risk here. So mm. what the hell, you know, Go so for it's it. the treatment, the treatment model itself becomes part of the problem mm-hmm. it, yeah. because if it's an all or nothing and right. one just looks at these things as crutches, right. Um, that, that, you know, it, it pushes away a viable treatment methodology that is proven i mean we've already we've already been down this road but i understand the thinking so i I think that i mean it it may be easier to apply these concepts when we think of um, women that are pregnant like oh well there's a good reason for it but there's still all this fear associated with it for them quite often that's how Mm. we we began this stigma and stigma associated i mean this is it it's like here we are as recovering people who are, you know, among the most stigmatized groups on earth, <laughs> now stigmatizing people who are taking right. this medication right. that is statistically saving lives, um, particularly in, in, in certain populations. Oh, my um, gosh. It's- <laughs> that, the, there's yeah the idea that you know people in recovery 
um, and professionals in the field that would stigmatize people based upon even the methodology that they want to use as far as their sobriety goes. This has been going on for mm-hmm. forever, you know, right. and it right. becomes of like judging people or, or having some kind of bias based upon the language or the methodology they use right. to find their sobriety, whatever that looks like right. again. And then what sobriety looks well, like? Well, yeah, and is and is sobriety synonymous with recovery? You know, I know loads of people who've been sober for donkeys' years. And they're fucking miserable. I wish they'd have a drink because they'd probably be a lot more pleasant to get along with. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and yet, and then I know other people who have had ups and downs, disease, in and out of remission, but because they have generally held the course, come back and said, want to get back on track life is moving forwards their families are repairing they're getting back to work life is starting to have some meaning again children have their mum or their dad back yeah and 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 to me that's more important than counting days of course mm-hmm. that's the real Correct. thing that's that's actually the real part that's mm-hmm. that's you know showing up I mean, it all comes down to me, and I mean, the, yeah. in that that little book I wrote, um, that was like the fifth step was show up, show up, show up. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. like this is it. This is it. You show up, and ninety percent of being present is you know be is I mean ninety percent of it is being present. Which to be present, one one I have to show up. Absolutely, yeah. mm-hmm. persistence beats addiction, and recovery should be measured much more in terms of. How is the person functioning in various life domains? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. perfect, mm-hmm. perfect. So, how do you how do you think we? I mean, kind of get this message out in such a way to to help people understand, families understand how important this is. Be, because I know part of this goes back to this this shame model, right? Mm. That you know, part of the reason why uh, a young woman may not seek out help and, and seek out assistance in mm-hmm. this way um, often can be uh, started, you know, within the family system where, you know, you know, they, they d- disown in, in some way or um, that, that's, that's such a strong word. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's always accurate, but mm-hmm. they they feel like they, they can't do anything or they feel powerless about the problem in the first place and they don't know what to do. But the idea of the family member getting help in this way, again, they just see it's switching addictions, you know, in some ways. Well, so the, educating. How do, yeah. I know we're, that's what we're doing now, but yeah, yeah. how, how I, do we get this out? I mean, I think, you know, education is, is the key to it. And... The problem is that nobody is really focusing on the family disease concepts, right? Um, and, you know, um, it, it's starting uh, the craft program um, yeah. is is a lovely example of, of that. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's too, it's too little and it's too slow and we 
we we really need to help these people realize that they need to get in their own goddamn recovery. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Sorry about that, but I mean, I think that's it's really that's important. That's the systemic model, you which know, I'm I'm all that being a family, you know, therapist. Yeah. I'm all for having the family take a look at their part in in the creation of the yeah. the problem in the first Most place. Most of the time, the addictive person is not the sickest person in the family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True dad. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Brett, well, you I, you know that. <laughs> well, it is. I, you you know. and I used to do family groups for families, mm-hmm. literally in this dilemma. We specifically. did Yeah, when we were in uh, Northern California, we looked at uh, the the combined client family and then the family group. Yeah. And we got there's so much resistance. Yeah, we did the same 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 model. Yeah, and the family, you you know, it is a a system, right? The the family, your Mm -hmm. uh, immediate family, and then the community, and then the, you know, the extended, and then, you know, what's going on in in Washington, right? And I haven't been watching the news for a while, so I I might. Good for you. (laughs) Well, you know, it's iffy. I I can't find shooting addicts. Yeah. We've decided to take oh, yeah, on I the Philippines. That, yeah. Drug dealers. Approach. We're going to kill drug dealers. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I think we're going to do addicts dealers. too soon. That'll stop, because that'll stop that people will from buying stop drugs. The problem. We kill the drug dealers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Sorry. Yeah. Um, any Anything but the drug user, right? I think, like, I think it was Forrest Gump that said, stupid is, a stupid does. Right. Or well, the it, there's that, 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 that line. It's like, well, okay, you have the drug dealers and you have the drug users, right? And, you can't, and we're trying to keep the drug users alive and trying to kill the drug uh, sellers, right? And, and it's still the same thing, it, you know, whether you're using it or selling it. It's just on the opposite end. So how do we get into the middle? And, and that's the, the piece that I was listening to is, and you said, take a risk about treatment centers, right? Um, uh, once again, I've, I'm biased on this somewhat, right? Because of my direct experience. And it, but I think this is a bias that is important is how do we assist them without, without promoting the pattern? And the, the idea of treatment um, is an indication that we, you know, we need more specific treatment for mothers and, yeah. and children. That, that I'm not saying that's a bad idea, but but there's also going to be another outcome because the more we create, the more that's available. The more that's available, yeah. the more they're going to create it. Right. So how do we, you know, we started with detox. You know, we get a woman that, uh, not a woman, usually a child still, right, a young adolescent, not even a woman. But a, a young woman or adolescent woman coming in addicted and, and pregnant, going to bring another, you know, life energy uh, into, um, you know, this, this world and, and then it's going to create. So instead of saying, how do we create more treatment for the dysfunction, how do we push back and create more awareness that got them to that point instead of creating, you know, a continuum yeah. of care? Yeah. How do we push back a little bit and and I'll so, go back to working with the woman, you know, uh, or the <clears throat> or uh, the addicted uh, female, right? Well, I mean, so much of it, but but so much of it again is, you know, is that often there have been family dynamics that have played out. Mm-hmm. long before the pregnancy ever occurs oh, of course. yeah and so you know 
it, it there really are just these sort of and and again this is a this is another Saturday afternoon topic but you know how did we get to this place that 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 the addiction whether it be substance or behavioral um has become so prevalent mm-hmm. um and the answer is that that society's kind of disintegrating yeah um Totally. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was, get, I was getting ready for the, my next risk, but finish right. this yeah. up because, you know, the, the, the problem is not the drug. Yeah. <laughs> right. Again, the drug is just the symptom. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and you we, know, de- we criminalize the symptom. To, to, right. to, to borrow from Johan Hari, yes, right. the, the, you know, the answer here is community. And having pregnant mums who are addicted having community with other pregnant mums um and 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 other and other recovering people yes you know this is a huge part of the answer it's not just Mm -hmm. treatment it's how do we start building community exactly right and not and not institutions because it's it's the community, and yeah. um, well, for I mean, uh, okay. So my risk is first of all, drugs need to be completely decriminalized, and drug use needs to be completely decriminalized. Mm-hmm. That uh, that's my risk. Okay, mm-hmm. I say that because it doesn't work. To because we end up criminalizing the user, right? Um, and that's sort of the stigma that gets continually passed on that creates this problem, right? And and, and perpetuates it, mm-hmm. uh, you know. <laughs> And, and, and back to Johan, you know, which is, I mean, the truth, you know, that, that truth about connection and community is that there are now models that show when, when you do that, that uh, when the government takes a stand and decriminalizes drug use and drug possession, and um, it, it changes the system yeah. right. and the abuse changes right. and the number of people that are uh, using goes down. And then you also have safe injection sites, which we have the very first one officially. I mean, there are safe injection sites in some cities, but they're all underground because it's still a federal crime to <laughs> offer a safe injection site for someone to right. use. Right. And so, um, you know, I hear that this they're going to open this one up in Philadelphia, um, regardless of what the government says. And the DOJ is saying, well, we're going to come in and shut you down because you're it, instead of it being a community service, they see it as a community hazard. And that's the insanity that that partly creates this problem. First, the first they place. have to keep someone in office long enough to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess eight years just wasn't enough, right? Yeah, I'm a fuck. I'm gonna regret that. The, the uh, <laughs> nah, the uh, you know, the, I was there. I was a witness. What's that? Well, I can I can vouch for him. <laughs> Whatever direction he wants to yeah. go, that's the way I saw it. You know, the other part of the decriminalization equation is is that all of a sudden there is a huge amount of revenue available to take people who often don't have adequate education, can't find a place to live because they have felonies get them housed get them training so they have jobs and become Mm self-sustaining i mean a lot of people want to get clean but 
If they got felonies and they can't find an apartment or a job, what do you think is going to happen? Right, exactly. And and so, you know, that's a critical piece of, of the equation is is restructuring things so that we 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 get people safe housing, we get people education such that you know not everybody has to get a phd but but get job training i mean that vocational training vocational training good honest work you know um and and there are still addicts in portugal um yeah no it doesn't but they come but they come into contact with the system often enough and again the anti-shame device is that there's a system that says you know hello you know good to see you how you feeling need any help with anything any medical problems you know there's a relationship that's built that then allows that one day when they say i've had enough there's someone there yeah when you're ready there's there will be here yeah when you're ready we'll be here and you know this idea of you know, telling them what they're supposed to do. This is the, you were talking about this earlier about the idea of giving people advice. Right. right, right, right. And that's not starting where the person's at yeah. at all. You yeah. know, the individual's at, especially when talking about addiction. And, you know, the, the, I mean, I deal with this with my colleagues all the time is this idea of, you know, everyone needs to have a certain level of cognitive awareness to change. And it all should happen, you know, in a certain situ- a certain timing, in a certain situation. And, you know, depending on someone's mental health issues, especially what, right. what I found out is you can't use the same tools over and over again to help certain people. Yeah. I mean, it, it becomes actually counterintuitive within the process. And it also becomes counterintuitive even in the group process, which is the most difficult situation because you, you want to have a sense of, right. you know, everyone gets the same kind of treatment, right. you know. But the truth of the matter is that's literally impossible to do. And the results can be harmful at yeah. times. And our, and our views of addiction are so primitive. You know, <laughs> a, 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 addiction... Addiction is a final common path, pathway for many, many things. Yes. Yeah. Biopsychosocial, literally. You know, um, ADHD being another. Um, but it, you know, the idea then that the same treatment is going to work for all people is preposterous if there are, in fact, numerous pathways to the point of it of of needing treatment that's true because you know we'd all still be doing bloodletting if uh, one treatment worked you know a couple hundred years ago yeah yeah uh, to that um the the piece where to to decriminalize drug use right i'm Mm -hmm. for that as well Mm -hmm. and uh, but not in the in I don't know what's a little twist to it like if we do that because what we're saying is we're going to take the government right uh and or its uh entities and and not allow it to be the authority over the addict right so if you want to use right it that's your choice there's no there's no uh, authority saying you can't so we decriminalize it 
Um, so then what is the authority? See, so then the, the, the question is, is, all right, fine. If you want to use drugs, that's fine. Go ahead. But um, so we're not the authority. That means then we're not accountable. And so the, you know, all the government programs for treatment, for all does of that should though? cease. I mean, does it no, really? No, 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 you still, no. No, no, there's no, still I know what you're you, you, I mean, to, to, decrim- to decriminalize use. Um, is to remove the authority. No, no, it's not. The authority's still in place because they're laws. You, you know, you can't, you can't drink and drive. Th- you know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, in this state now, we're the lowest in the country, 05 percent, right? Right. So, you know, it, it's basically telling people, hey, you, you know, don't don't drink, right, and get in a car. Basically, well, is what I understand it. You, you can't do criminal behaviors, but just the fact that you're using. So then, but, but using you, is not a, should not be a criminal behavior. All right. So Unless, then, it also shouldn't be a responsibility then to um, uh, cater to the symptoms that come from that. So the, it's a person's right to use. Then it's that person's own authority then that would have to negotiate uh, the outcome of that or a consequence, whether it be good or bad. And and not the government. See, well, there, but yeah, but their 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 own authority combined with their social structure surrounding mm-hmm. them, their employer, their family, mm-hmm. that this thing then gets worked out because those entities say mm-hmm. this has become a problem for you. Um. And you're not functioning. Right. Which is why we had the law in the first place, right? It's not that... Because there's a lot of, you know, I would have to say... um, Well, I don't have a number, but, uh, uh, you know, (laughs) I'll go with 50%, right? 50% because I don't know. But uh, people that, that use substances, you know, the caffeine, the... Nicotine, the um, you know stimulants, and even alcohol, you know, alcohol, which is not and recreation. Not, you don't. We don't criminalize mm-hmm. the alcoholic or the person that that abuses right. alcohol. But people are using and and not having the same dysfunctional um, um, outcomes that we're talking about. The very addicted. Yeah. You know, the person that has lost their ability to function, mm-hmm. that has lost their 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 sense of being. Mm-hmm. And and then that they can't be responsible for their themselves, so we pick it up. So we become the authority. I, it's just interesting to me that <clears throat> so if a person wants to use drugs and it's not a criminal activity, fine. Mm-hmm. But then that's the, then they need to be the authority. Now, for those that but are I, acting out, I disagree. Because what about what about alcohol? <clears throat> it's still the government is still the authority. If you abuse alcohol and you get caught for it, mm-hmm. there are consequences for it. They don't mm-hmm. say you're a criminal for drinking, having a glass of wine with dinner. Right. You know. Okay, that that that's fine. So so the, the the individual wants to to not have it illegal to to do this, mm-hmm. that, right? Right. But then the the cry of well now you've got to you know uh, help me all right I've I've used these drugs you know and and so there's a difference like you said there's a, a drug isn't a drug isn't a drug I mean they're they're different drugs because they do different things mm-hmm. and so if a person you know um, uh, has that within themselves to take a risk and and wants to you know mainline heroin mm-hmm. right that's the right to do it mm-hmm. okay. And, and if they can't be the authority and deal with the outcome of that, then the natural law, the natural authority is going to come into place. 
So when you're asking the government to step out of the way, which I'm for, by the way, mm-hmm. and, and that'll either allow the individual to then say, all right, I want to use drugs, and I will live with the outcome or die right. with or, the outcome. Or die. But Fine, I'm not but asking not the government it about to step other out of people. the way. Right. I want to be clear. I'm not asking the government to step out of the way. I'm just asking for the user not to be criminalized. Yeah. I mean, a war but on they drugs. never are. See, a user's not criminalized. Oh, they it's, are. A war on drugs has become a war on addicts. I mean... I, the, the, in, in criminal behavior... You know, if you're, uh, you know, whoever, you know, the... Well, that I mean, doesn't I'm not change. saying it's not harmful, but, yeah. <clears throat> you know, there's 19-year-old kids sitting around smoking marijuana, you know, down in their par- parents' basement, you know. Uh-huh. And, and then that same kid, you know, he's 60 down in his parents' basement <laughs> smoking marijuana. <laughs> and he's not, he's not doing criminal uh-huh. activity because the, the, the crime is done in the doing. And, and the crime is that the parents are still letting him do it. Let them address that, right? I agree. It's when he gets high and goes out and drives. But that has nothing to do with addiction. That has to do with endangerment of the society. So it, I don't know where it's illegal to use drugs in this society. It's only when there's criminal element att- exactly. attached to it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea of the government saying we're not going to criminalize it now. So either you be your authority or let the natural law True. be the authority, which mm-hmm. would be, but that's what they call a hangover. That's the natural law. You know, you drink too much alcohol and you have a hangover. There's your natural yeah, law. Yeah, or I don't show up to work and I get fired, you know. I mean, natural you know, whatever law. it is, you know. Right. But then but then not go to the government and say, look, you know, I was an addict and, and, and you know, I chose to use drugs and... and but I screwed up my brain, and so now I want disability, and it falls under the American Disabilities Act, and you get, you know, siphoned money or caretaking from that, right? If we're going to decriminalize it, then we're hopefully going to, uh, you know, if you take something away, something's going to come in. And and if it's we take that away and then we get responsible and we have to create more and more and more treatment centers, then then we're we're intervening in that natural Well, law. I think the data would suggest that we wouldn't. Um, and mm-hmm. and I definitely don't think that criminal justice should be involved with determining whether a condition is a disease or not. Mm-hmm. Addiction is a disease, in my opinion, and in, I think, the majority. Um, but what... It, the Portuguese uh, experience has been is that the need for treatment has just diminished dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's money that's being put into these other elements that I spoke of, but um, but less and less treatment mm-hmm. is required. Right. Oh, and and I mean things, but we've also seen. A lot of things, change, I mean, go down, mm-hmm. like overdoses, um, heroin overdoses mm-hmm. right. dropped fifty percent. HIV rates, yeah, HIV rates went down mm-hmm. because they were, um, they weren't sharing needles. You could go to some place, you could go to a safe mm-hmm. injection site, and you know, and, and do it under some kind of supervision, at yeah. least whether it was a nurse or, mm-hmm. or whatever. There, right? But and, and and so that is good. I mean, no doubt, I, I like that. You know, the, the data suicide, shows that it works. Right, yeah. it does. But are you looking at the um, the other side of that, which is why is that? You know, now we're putting more money, more resources towards that, where 
Um, so there's always a give and take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it's great that the suicide, you know, rate's going down and, and overdoses and, and, well, I don't know if that's true, right? I mean, on the overdoses, I believe it probably is. Suicide rate, I think, is actually going up. We'll get back to that. Well, the not, in, not in, not in, not in um, mm-hmm. Portugal because there's oh, less stigma associated got with it. the drug use. Right. They're, 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 they're not looked at mm-hmm. in, in the same way. The government right. doesn't look at it in the same way. Mm-hmm. So there is a change. Right. Um, all those the numbers have dropped. The abuse numbers have gone down. The deaths have gone down. The suicides mm-hmm. have gone down, um, and and it, it becomes you know the the people are the the idea of of drug addiction is is not demonized. It's more thought of mm-hmm. uh, that it needs to be dealt with from a health services point of view mm-hmm. instead of a criminal justice point of view mm-hmm. and that's probably the biggest part of the change i don't mm-hmm. disagree with you that there still need to be laws in place and there need to be consequences for breaking laws mm-hmm. but that this should be a mental health and uh, right. and a, um, a health care issue instead of a criminal justice right. issue well it'd be the and on the other side consequence used as just the outcome right there should be a consequence for someone to step into their own authority and 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 um, and um, what's the word um, to own the yeah. outcome of it, right? Like, oh yeah, I, I I wanted to use drugs. It's not against law. I did. Um, yeah, I but I missed my interview and now I don't have a job. You know, then live with that. You know, eat right. top ramen for a while, and, and instead is- of go to any authority, your parents or your you know right. whomever. So that you can actually get back to that knowing yourself. Well, ultimately, that's part of the model. Mm-hmm. Uh, the model is is that the <clears throat> services, and we talked a little bit about this before, is you have to have services in place that is educating and supporting the people just like they would in any other healthcare problem mm-hmm. that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of looking at it as, as mm-hmm. you know, a deficiency of human character, um, uh, that we look at it as a healthcare issue and mm-hmm. let the healthcare system deal with it in, in a much more upfront and open way. Mm-hmm. But there still are consequences, and that, that's this is where case management comes into mm-hmm. this in a much bigger level. We talked about it. I mean, ultimately, the you know some of the other ways of looking at this were you know the methadone cl- clinics, mm-hmm. and I mean even Suboxone is, is used or the Subutex. Mm-hmm. You know, buprenorphine is used, thought of in this way. And again, we, there are, are problems associated with that, but it's partly the delivery system mm-hmm. in itself and how it's being managed, and and um, and, be, and and of course, the uh, is it being taken advantage of at, at times? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, are there? Is it a perfect system? Oh, by by no no means, it's mm-hmm. not. It's not. But we notice. I, I think we do. The numbers are strong enough to show when we treat it as a health care problem and not a criminal justice problem mm-hmm. that the outcomes are better. Mm-hmm. And it's less. There's less. I mean, crime has gone down. We see all these things change mm-hmm. when people are, are, are treated differently about it. Wow. The treatment starts from the system, you know, and that's also socially, obviously, in community. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will. The, I, I, it's not going to be. It's never going to be perfect. There's always going to be a conflict. Problem. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't. Why do I say always? I don't know. Yeah. But there's there's inherent. Well, I, I in think it's because that's what life is. You know, it's the it's the resistance. You know, that tension that that even tells us that we're alive. So yeah, I think there'll probably always be conflict, yeah. right? Um, but does it have to be the same conflict? 
<laughs> right? It's, it's like, are we perpetuating the same same thing? We've been doing treatment now, uh, you know, so AA was one of the, you know, the first self-help, but it was treatment, you know, it, yeah. there, that aspect, and that was in 45 or 55 that, well, it's starting. Yeah. Right. So go back since, even a decade yeah. before that. But, right. You know, the Oxford so, group. But are we doing the same conflict is what I'm saying. Is, and that is, um, are we still being the authority? Right. If if the individual is or the natural way is, uh, comes up, then I think we're in a better position. Yeah. Right. Instead of doing what we're talking about, you know, just more and more and more treatment. Well, and I mean, this goes, we go back to this Johan Hari that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he just sort of pulled all this research together. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, I think it was a, a, a concept that we know connection and community is mm-hmm. the opposite of addiction, at least from his model and mm-hmm. his way of thinking about it. And, and I, I agree with that based upon results that one of the things that, you know, why I know aftercare works so well, and, and you mm-hmm. and I, I believe, are mm-hmm. on the same page of this, is that aftercare works because it's about the community. Right. It's about the community that gets mm-hmm. created and the support that they show each other mm-hmm. and feeling part of something mm-hmm. and that making that human that connection too. with people. Mm-hmm. It is just so powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I see aftercare as probably the most important component. It's not what happens in the first month or the second month. It's what happens when people are living this, you know, an, an integrous, um, open, connected, vulnerable life day to day that and are able to connect and be part of something that really wouldn't see this uh, evolution or this growth happen mm-hmm. um, and, the, and the ability to be vulnerable and open begin to take place. And, mm-hmm. and, th- and that only happens with, you know, mm-hmm. with accountability, you know, not being mm-hmm. the victim of, of life anymore, and especially my own thinking, right? It becomes that I take mm-hmm. accountability. I don't blame what I think, feel, and do on anyone else. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's an inside job. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. All right. <laughs> do do we want to keep going or do we want to we want to we want to bring I, it to a I think I'm good. It was fun. <laughs> How are you doing, Robert? You're looking good, man. <laughs> I feel good. You looking good. Well, I feel the average yet. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll we'll, we'll bring up we'll we'll leave the uh the 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 stimulant topic and ADHD mm-hmm. for next time or, right. you know and uh, yeah it's a really good one I it, mean there's so many pieces but I think yeah. it would be difficult to do it justice in in in, in a short period of time yeah right yeah, yeah. I'll, well, I'll do some research on it so to come in on top you're gonna, you're gonna you're gonna make you, shit up you're, you're gonna go and, see your doctor and get some red linen and do some research <laughs> again yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of, oh, that kind of research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got a degree at that university. You have a degree in that. Yeah, yeah, I've, got yeah, a, yeah. I've got a couple PhDs yeah. in, uh, in my cocaine research over the years. Yeah. You know. yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that Snow College? No. That's Snow College, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Snow College. Snow College. Uh, they have a great, they have a great yeah. music program, by That's the way. That's a very um, non... But I also, yeah. I mean, go, go full circle here, but this idea of... Um, the uh, uh, this idea of bonding with something you know we're going to mm-hmm. find something to bond with and when i when i look back and i know we started about started about you know, cognitive distance and shame 
part of this, another one part of that that also leads into the last thing we were talking about is mm-hmm. this this idea of learning to bond differently with different mm-hmm. things. So connection and community mm-hmm. instead of bonding with the drug, you know, developing right. that relationship with the the drug because mm-hmm. that leads into the drug community which mm-hmm. then we bond with if you know if, if using mm-hmm. becomes our thing yeah. which it was you know for mine for a few decades right. um that that whole idea of then bonding to something else you know whether it be family and and uh, bonding with purpose and uh, in life you know how does that materialize mm-hmm. full circle is i knew i wanted to be a therapist back when i was an right. adolescent Right. And I, when I, so I finally connected to it and I stopped listening to all the bullshit in my head why I couldn't be. Mm-hmm. I ended up being where I am today. Right. Well, you said that bonding because that's what you said about the mentor. You bonded with him. Yeah. That's a... That, that's a Seeking inter- acceptance and approval, right? Yeah. yeah but to bond was more important to bond than to yeah. bond with your, your truth. That was sure. helpful. Yeah. Well, I, and, and, and... I can see where it's I mean... Your story speaks to that, too. You knew all along, I think, on some level, what you wanted to be. I don't know if that's true or not, if I'm just making an assumption based on your story. But, you know, we spent a couple hours one day talking about that. And, you know, here you are today and, you know, doing what, and on some level, what, what you love and what you have a deep I, passion for. I, I do. Yeah. I do indeed. I yeah. mean, I... And I've done a lot of things in medicine. I, 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 I willed my way... Into some areas of medicine that um, nearly destroyed me, and um, you know, I finally feel as though I'm doing what I was actually meant to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's 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 a it's a lovely feeling to yeah. to, to to go to work every day mm-hmm. and feel as though. You know, th- this is this is what I'm supposed to. Yeah, this yeah. is what I'm supposed to do for society. And well, that's why this works, right? We're we're we mm-hmm. got a little community together here to to mm-hmm. talk and to share and mm-hmm. you know to mm-hmm. to live. No, it's what, lovely. Live this, yeah, yeah. So, okay, bozo brothers. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank uh, you. Hopefully, for... uh, hopefully, Corey will uh, be back next time to. Uh, have uh, further discussions and uh, we'll uh, we'll do that in a couple months again so anyway Brett thank you so much thank you thanks for creating this yeah. this place here that we get to use and yeah thank I you have my, I get to have my my office here too yep yeah thank you you bet okay. and uh, good, good Robert same to you Paul it's a delight and uh, enjoy it every time yeah. and you're a lovely host <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I like being called lovely. All right, we'll go out as we usually do with a little Joan Osborne. Have a great week. So long.
If C-